All right, let's try this. It's going to be, hopefully that's going to be better for us this morning. As we start uh, this morning, I just want us to, again, pause, and Maureen's already mentioned it, but I think it's important for us just to stand together with those in our world who are struggling through conflict, particularly as we think about Ukraine. So would you join with me as we pray together, as we lift them up before God's throne? Father, we thank you that you are present, that you are present throughout this world, that you have not abandoned us to ourselves. And yet, Lord, as we spend uh, these moments, uh, we think about the evil that is in our world in many different places, not just in Ukraine, but, Father, in so many other places, including what could be local. Father, as we as we think about that, we, we invite your presence to show itself. As we've already sung, the, this battle is yours. We know that the victory has been won, and yet we are in the midst of a spiritual battle and a physical battle. Lord, we pray today for the country of Ukraine. Father, we pray for those who are suffering, who've lost loved ones. Father, we pray for those who are uh, fighting the battle. We pray for those uh, who are also fighting on the other side. Lord, we know that you love all humanity. And so we ask, God, that people would turn to you. That this would be a time, not just in Ukraine, but in our world, that we would turn and realize we need you because we are broken people. So we pray for peace today. We are a people of peace, and we invite your spirit to bring peace, not just to our lives, but to our world. Father, how that happens, we don't know, but we know that you are a God of peace. We thank you that you are not just present, but you're present in times of trouble. And so, Lord, show yourself. Be with the people of Ukraine. May they know your presence, your nearness. Father, be with those who are bringing the conflict to change their hearts, change their minds. For you know this is the work that you can do. For we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. How many of you uh, enjoy music? Anybody here like music? No. Okay, none of you. I don't know why we sing then. No, I know that many of you do. You enjoy music. You, you love it. I don't, and I'm not going to ask you what kind of music. There's just so many kinds. But music is a way of us expressing emotion. And, and um, for us as followers of Jesus, it also helps us to declare truth that sticks in our minds. Uh, around the world, every country has a national anthem. And I know the national anthem has been, of the U- Ukraine has been sung at uh, some hockey games. What emotions come to your mind when you think about standing to sing our national anthem? Is there a bit of pride? Yeah, maybe not. It's like, I don't know if I like our country. I don't like some of the things that are going on. We can complain very easily. Well, let me share with you one experience that we had. Uh, we follow, my wife and I, Brenda and I, follow the Toronto Raptors. So I don't know if there's any Raptors fans out there, but we follow the Raptors, and uh, we live in BC most of the time, and we uh, traveled down to Portland when they were playing the Trailblazers. 
and our son and daughter-in-law were living there at the time. We said, hey, let's go. We'll take you to the, the Portland game, but it's actually they're playing the Raptors. We're going to see the Raptors. And so as we're sitting there, of course, with this, in this huge auditorium with, I don't know, there must have been probably between fourteen and 20,000 people there. You know, we're in the nosebleed section. Uh, but, of course, it's a Canadian team playing an American team. What do they do? They, they play the Canadian national anthem. And guess what Canadians do when our anthem is played? We sing. Yeah, we sing. And so we're standing there, we're singing, we're belting it out. Our son is belting it out, and Brenda is, and I am. And everybody around us is looking at us like, are you out of your mind? Because then the American national anthem comes on, and they don't sing. They listen. So we actually sang it, too, because we know it. Hey, if you're going to sing, you might as well sing them all. Uh, so, so we sang that as well. But as we sang the Canadian National Anthem, there was this swelling of, of pride and joy. And it was like, yes. And when we sang those words, God, keep our land glorious and free. It was like, yes, that is my desire for our country. I hope it is yours as well. This morning, as we, as we begin our, uh, and continue with our series, but as I begin this morning, I want to talk about, we've been talking about God's faithfulness. And I want to talk about thankfulness and how do we respond to God's faithfulness. So we've been talking about this for over two months. And we've been just investigating God's faithfulness, looking at the nation of Israel and how God was faithful to them. And then asking ourselves, how is also God faithful to us? Which is in a different way. But I would suggest to you this morning that thankfulness is a mark of a follower of Jesus. Now initially in my notes, I had written should be. And I'm like, no, it shouldn't be. It, sh it absolutely is. If you are a follower of Jesus, thankfulness should be a mark of who you are. People who are grateful are generally happier, even if they don't know Jesus. And they're more pleasant folks to be around, no matter what their faith journey has been. So our gratefulness to God should be evident to others. And out of this should flow our thankfulness toward others as well. So I don't know about you, but I really have grown and learned and, and tried hard to build a habit of thanking people who serve me. So whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's uh, at a checkout, whether it's in Starbucks, the barista, uh, I just make sure that I am repeating thank you, thank you, thank you over and over and over again and so appreciate what people do for us. And I hope that you and I can learn to do better and better and better at that and just become those thankful people. So as we've been studying God's faithfulness, today we want to look at responding to God's faithfulness. So let me just give you a quick recap. God, Moses is the one who is called to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses had been called to serve God. And we see that God was faithful to an individual, to Moses. And he was faithful also to a nation. We've reviewed how God drew them away from Egypt through plagues, particularly the blood on the doorpost to protect the oldest son. And finally, we've actually taken some time to see how the nation, freshly formed, had stared death in the face, watched God move a sea, dividing it in two. As the nation walked through the two walls of water, they came face to face with Pharaoh's army who was pursuing them. And then they saw God act through a miracle. They watched as their enemy was destroyed. Moses 
had to do one simple thing as an act of obedience, and that was simply stretch out his hand. He wasn't controlling God. God was directing him. Last week, Chandra shared how God helps us handle pressure using Exodus 14 as the text. And it is from that text that I want to step into our text today. So we're reminded in Exodus 14 where Moses spoke to the people when they were afraid, where he said this to them, speaking on God's behalf, where he said, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. After all that God had done, all of these things that had taken place. So if you read all of Exodus chapter 1 right to chapter 14, and now we get to Exodus chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles or if you have an app, make sure you open it to that. Exodus chapter 15, we're going to look at the first 18 verses together. But what we see here is a response of the people to God through all of what's been taking place. When God acts, we need to respond. And our response is called worship. And one aspect of worship is to sing. It's not the only thing. So when we say, join us for worship, hopefully we're not just thinking about music, but actually when we read the scripture this morning, that's worship. When we sang, that's worship. Uh, when you do many other things in your life, those things should be seen as worship to our God. I want to share with you before we go, just to, I want to really be really clear about what I mean by worship. So I'm going to share with you a definition that I heard and really appreciated from Expound Church, and the pastor is Skip Heitzig. And he says this, the first thing that you need to know about worship is it's a response to God. Worship is simply a response to God. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. It's a response. When God loves us, we respond to others and to him in love. Secondly, and this is, this is going to build, it's not just a proper response to God, um, but it is a, a proper response. Not just a response, but a proper response. In Romans 12, 1, where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So what is a proper response of worship? It's not just our voice. It's not just our hands. It's our whole body. Body, mind, and spirit. So it's a proper response to God that comes from the heart. John chapter 4, John reminds us that God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So we're building on this definition of what is worship. So we worship him from the heart. And finally, here's the full definition, a proper response to God that comes from the heart, whereby we place God above everyone and everything else. And Jesus said these words in Mark 12, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. With this definition in mind, this idea of worship, let's look at Moses' response to God. This text would be a reminder and be used for generations to communicate God's past faithfulness to his people. 
So I'm going to invite you this, this morning again to stand with me as we read God's Word. This is a wonderful expression of worship as a response to God's faithfulness. So would you just also, as I read it for us, would you just kind of say, God, these are my words to you as well. This is my response of worship to you today. Exodus 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Now, I'm going to, just so you know, I'm going to use the actual Hebrew word for Lord, where it says Lord. So if you look at your Bibles and you wonder, you may wonder, why is it capitalized, L-O-R-D? Sometimes it's not capitalized, just the L is capitalized. So L-O-R-D, capital means there, it's the Jewish God, Yahweh. So I'm going to actually read it that way. So it may sound a little bit different, but I believe it will also give more expression to the reading this morning. I will sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Yahweh, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Yahweh, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Yahweh, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Yahweh, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. Yahweh reigns forever and ever. So is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This morning, as we take a few minutes and look at uh, this, we want to look at three particular areas. 
as we look at this particular song, we're going to look at those who are speaking of God, then those who are speaking or the words that are spoken to God, and then I want you to notice there is a speaking about the future power of God to others. So let's dive into it. Verses 1 to 5, if you look at those verses again, it's telling others what God has done. The focus is not uh, is on God. It's not on Moses. So they're not saying, Moses, you did a great thing. You lifted up your hand and the waters were parted. It's like, no, actually, Moses acted as directed by God. But then God did the work, and so they point to him. Moses is the instrument that God used, but God is the one with the power. So they sing of him and they sing about him. That God is the one who is exalted. That God is the one who's hurled the adversary into the sea. Note the words of God's work. It talks about his strength, his defense, his salvation. I want you to notice the parallelism. You know, when, when we write poetry, we often use rhyming words, right? Like I could give you a, a poem, and it's like the end of it, the last word rhymes, and then you write another one, the next, the last word rhymes again. In Hebrew poetry or in Eastern poetry, they don't use that. They use rhyming ideas. So you'll notice it says things like, um, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. So there's like a parallelism there. And you'll see it over and over and over again in this poetry. So it's a great example of that. That he is my strength and my defense. He is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. There is power in names. That God has overcome a vast army that was attacking them. And verse 5 ends the section where Moses is telling everyone what God has done. Now why would they do this? Why do we write songs? You'll notice that we often sing songs more than once. Do you notice that? Some of you are like, yeah, I wish they would quit doing that song. I've been in church long enough, I know. But you know that it's interesting that the worship team often is like, I'm tired of this song, and it's like people are just starting to get it. They're, just start, they're starting to understand what it's saying. But our songs proclaim who God is, and that's what this song was to do. It was to create this time of remembrance, that they would sing this song not just now, but they would actually sing it as they marched through the wilderness. They would sing it as they entered into uh, the promised land, as they marched around Jericho. I don't know what they sang, but they might have been singing this song. Why would they have sung it? It's like, we remember. We remember what God has done. We were there, and even if we weren't, this is a song to remind our children and our children's children and so on. We use music in that way. It's telling others. It's being a witness of the experience. When we talk about um, being a witness in the New Testament, where Jesus says, go and be my witnesses to all nations, that's really what this is saying. Go and tell people what God has done. In the same way that Moses is writing this and they're singing this and they're gathering this information and they're going to sing it over and over and over again. God says to you and I, share what I've done for you. Think about it. We talk about the gospel. We talk about good news. Good news is what God has done for us. And we need reminding, don't we? We need reminding of what God has done for us. It's so easy for us to get caught up in negativity and 
in what's not happening, not looking toward God and saying, God, what have you done or what are you doing? Where are you? We have good news that has impacted us, that's changed our lives, and it can help others. Here at Forest Grove, we believe that transformation happens through Jesus Christ. For many of you who are sitting here this morning, you understand what that means. You've seen God's life transformation. I've seen it in my life where God has transformed me from a young man who used to have a terrible problem with anger. To believe it or not, God has made me somebody who's patient most of the time. Don't ask my wife. There are times when I'm impatient. But God has taken away the angry stuff that used to happen in me all the time. And all I can say is it's God. It's God's transformation. It's not because I'm a good person. It's work that he's done. So the first part is talking to God. The second part is telling God what God has done, the pictures of God's powerful activity. And so again, in verses 6 to 11 of this text, we see these words keep coming back to us, the power of the right hand of God. Now, let me ask you this. Does God have hands? God is a spirit. <laughs> so there, what are we using? We're using pictorial language to say, how can we understand this God? Well, we use language that we know, that you and I understand. We're like, we have hands. So when God acts, how does he act? Well, creation, it says he spoke creation into existence. It doesn't say he created the earth with his hands. And so now they're, they're writing this, and he's saying, how do we understand God? Well, the way we do it is through some of the ways we understand life. So we use imagery that we would understand. So it talks about the power of God's right hand. And so in, our, in, in their world, the right hand was the hand that was used f- to describe power. And so it's the, this power to overcome, that God is majestic in power. He's overcoming the enemy using his hand. So it's this human imagery that we're using. Notice uh, in these verses it talks about the blast of the nostrils of God to, as the wind. Right? Like, I don't want you to practice this now, but just try. How much can you blow out through your nose? Yeah, I don't, don't practice now. It wouldn't be, hap- wouldn't be pretty. But if you really want to try it sometime, go. You, can't, you can blow way more out through your mouth. So it's like God isn't even trying. And look what he can do. And we're using this human imagery for us. Verse 11 talks about God being majestic in holiness and being separate, awesome in glory, working wonders. Describing who he is and what he does. These three thoughts build on each other that God is different, so he's holy, he's different, he's separate, he's unique from humanity. He is also glorious in the pillar of cloud and the fire that we've talked about in the past, and you can go back and look at those online. But where we talk about the pillar where God's presence is there, his glory is shown. And then the working wonders would just simply be, just see what he's done What is your experience of him? And for the Israelite nation, it was plagues and army being destroyed and being saved through parted waters. And for you and I, I'm sure it's something. We sit, we marvel at the wonder of God. I would encourage you, if if we had more time this morning, I would actually just like want to be, just sit here silently and marvel at the wonder of God. We're in such a hurry. We don't pause and think and 
consider who God is and what he's done. Sit and marvel. Lastly, I would say this. uh, It says that we're telling God what he's promised to do. So we're doing this past, present, and now future. So in verses 12 to 17, it's talking about what's going to happen. What are the promises of God into the future? So even when we sing, you know, we sang, the battle belongs to the Lord. The victory is in him. You might be sitting here this morning going, I don't feel that. I don't feel it. I'm not there. And there's times where I want to encourage us to say, you know what, we actually say words of faith. That the battle belongs to you, God, not me. If it was up to me, this battle's lost. (laughs) Like, we're not going to win this one. And God says, yes, I am. You just don't know how. I'm here. We're going to win this. So it's this promises looking forward. And music can draw us to those promises. So in verses 12 to 17, it talks about his acts, how the enemies are destroyed. It talks about the future, right? He's listing all the nations that they're going to overcome. And how he leads his people in unfailing love. Those he has redeemed is how it starts. That he's created us, you and I. He's created everyone in this room. And due to that, He is the creator, and we are the creation. We are his, made in his image. And yet, we need to be purchased again, even though we are his. In the New Testament, even throughout the Old, it's it's pictured over and over again. But in the New Testament with Jesus, he pays the way for us to be his again. It's the idea of being redeemed to buy us back. So he, he's, if we're his creation and he is our creator, he has control over us. And yet he's given us opportunity to respond to him freely, yes or no. And yet in Jesus, he's come to buy us. In this text, we see that he's guiding his people in his strength, to his dwelling place. In the same way, I would suggest to you this morning, God seeks every one of you, and he has a place provided for you. In this text, we see that the nations will hear and respond. Notice the responses of the nations that are found in, in these verses, where it says they will tremble with fear. They'll be terrified. They'll be seized with trembling. They will melt away, terror and dread. They will be still as a stone. I'd also suggest to you that there are other responses that aren't actually written here. But as I thought about this story and where it goes, okay, let's go to Jericho. And there you have there Rahab and her family who hear about this God. And they are full of fear, but they realize this God has won the battle. The victory is there. So what do they do? They say, I'm going to follow that God. And so that's also a response. God is providing a home for his bought people. Talks about, near the end, God's mountain, his dwelling, his sanctuary. So these three ideas, again, again, this parallelism. The mountain belongs to God. The place where he lives. Well, he lives everywhere. But his presence is going to be seen in this mountain where they're going. And the place, the safe place that he creates for this nation. I love the way this ends. It ends 
in verse 18. Declaring God's sovereignty. Yahweh reigns forever and ever. And if that could be a refrain that we just put in our mind and say, God, even when things seem completely out of control, you reign forever and ever. Even when there's things I can't seem to see, get an answer for, guess what? Yahweh reigns forever and ever. I believe that when it comes to God, the past predicts the future. Scripture tells us that God never changes. He will always act in accordance with his character. His power is never diminished. His justice does not shift. His grace and love never runs out. His truth does not change because we want it to suit our perceived needs. The way of salvation is found in him alone. I think of the powerful videos of Ukrainian Christians singing worship songs. You want powerful images, go there. Look it up. They're singing, they're hunkered down in bunkers, being bombed, missiles exploding. And what are they doing? They are declaring the truth that God is sovereign, that God is still in control when everything looks out of control. So songs that are sung at certain times remind us of God's work in us and around us. As we close this morning, I want you to think about a few things as you think of this text. I encourage you to go home and read it this week. Maybe read it a couple of times. I would encourage you even to maybe find a couple of different versions. Read it out loud. Don't just read it quietly. Read it out loud. I want to remind you that God has either brought you into his family and paid for you, or he is inviting you into his family this morning. And he has redeemed you, has paid the price through Jesus Christ. And if you are one who would say, I am one and I have become his child and I walk with him and I have received that gift of salvation, would you respond with acceptance and thankfulness and worship this morning? What is your response based on your experience of God? I want you to think about what are you saying about God to others, both friend and foe? So those who you know, as, do, you, do you talk about what God is doing? I'm asking this question uh, of our staff and of myself. Where's God at work? See, it's not, a, it's not a question. It's not rhetorical. I don't know. That's not the answer. It, he is at work. Where is God at work? He's at work. Do we see him? What are we saying about him? I would suggest it's not just words that we use to talk about God, but it's actually our actions and attitudes as well. What are you reflecting back? There are some of you here this morning who are very creative. I am unfortunately not one of you. I am not as creative as I would like to be, but I love people who are creative. And if you're here this morning, maybe God is nudging you or encouraging you to write a poem or a song to describe God's faithfulness in this season. We've been through two tough years. We're hoping COVID's behind us, but hey, 
We don't know. So if that's you, I, I really want to encourage you to do that. Go home this week, write something, and then would you be prepared to share it with us as an encouragement to the body? So those of you who are creative, it's a shout out to you. All right? If you can do that, that would be fantastic. Finally, I would close with this. How can you grow in thankfulness? How can you grow? Is there something you could just simply say, you know what, Reg, this week, this is what I'm going to commit to. I'm going to try to be more thankful. I'm actually going to say thank you to my spouse for things they do. I'm going to say thank you to my kids when they do something good. I'm going to say thank you to people who serve me, whether it's at work, whether it's when I'm shopping, whether I'm having a coffee. I'm just going to become more thankful. I'm going to grow in that. Let's pray. Father, as we have looked at this text and we are just astounded by what you, who you are and what you've done, as we spend these next moments worshiping you, I'll call the worship team up. When we, as we spend these moments worshiping you, we want to lift you high. We want you to hear the praises of your people in this building and online. Because you are worthy of our praise. Because we are your creation and you are our creator. Because you have done awesome things in our world. Because you have done works of transformation in our lives. Lord, we pray. We pray that you would help us to lift up our head for those who are discouraged this morning. That there would be encouragement in worship. Lord, for those of us who are feeling excited about what you've done and looking forward to what you're going to do, may we reach out for your promises and receive them with a grateful heart. Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.